Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we continue our 32 for 32 series with a look at the New York Giants. I get it. NFC East was largely a dumpster fire for the majority of the 2020 season. Giants weren't exactly an exception to that. Was They were not quite as bad as you probably remember, though. Yeah, I get it. Owned five-star, didn't have the prettiest end of the year, but just looking through their schedule, like you did not see too many times where this team was being blown out the water. A lot of injuries in offense. We know Saquon, Daniel Jones was banged up, but you look at the defense, ninth and scoring there are some good pieces there and i know you know with the whole uh joe judge era and stuff maybe we have some quirky training camp storylines and stuff like that but week in and week out you did get the impression that this team was playing hard perhaps we'll see a brian flores dolphin similar year two peak but plenty of holes to fill on the roster i have a very special guest to help me figure out what exactly those holes might be he is a giants beat reporter for the athletic dan duggan who you can find on twitter at d duggan 21 that's d d u g g a n 21 dan thanks for the time man happy off season yeah thanks for having me as we were just saying before we started recording it's kind of the calm before the storm here <laughs> exactly man we were recording this on march 2nd so we got you know a couple more days this week next week and then free agency really gets going always love when you know the nfl has their like legal tampering period or whatever and pretty much every deal gets done during those three days so that storm is approaching but like we said plenty of stuff to get to before then so dan how about you start things off with your top three team needs for the new york 2021 giants uh, I think the clear number one is a number one receiver. Um, you know, you look at what they had last year, um, had a bunch of number twos and maybe number threes even really, and, and just really have lacked that number one guy really since the Odell trade. And uh, not to, not to relitigate that because he certainly hasn't been, you know, the number one guy that he was here uh, since he's been traded. So uh, well, that's neither here nor there, but they need to get a player of his caliber, you know, and uh, it's easier said than done. That's why a lot of people are sort of opposed to the trade because, you can't really just patch it together with Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. And, and Darius Slayton was a revelation as a fifth round pick, but you know, year two was really no better for, than year one for him. So I think, you, you know, I'm not saying you've seen a ceiling, but I don't think he's going to suddenly morph into a, you know, game breaking number one guy. He's a certainly a great compliment, um, but you'd like to put him around, you know, an Allen Robinson, a Kenny Golly, some of these guys that may or may not hit the market. Um, that's obviously going to you know, be a big factor because there's some really attractive impending free agent names, but how many of them actually get to the market? Does Tampa Bay lock up Chris Godwin or do they tag him? Like, all the top guys, if sensible, as we just talked about how hard it is to get a number one receiver for them to try to retain them one way or the other. Uh, so that is certainly going to impact you know, what exactly the Giants do there. I don't think that they're necessarily even going to spend $20 million a year, you know, what it'll probably take to sign one of those guys. Uh, but they need to do something, and they haven't been shy about saying that. So whether that's signing someone from that second tier, a Corey Davis or a Curtis Samuel, who was you know drafted by Dave Gettleman, Carolina, did they go somewhere like that? And then you also have the 11th pick, and you know it's hard to forecast you know who will be there at 11. But there's really four you know sort of head and shoulders top receiving weapons, whether it's Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, and Kyle Pitts. You have to figure one of them gets to 11 you don't want to bank on that's why i think they have to spend a little bit to get somebody in free agency even if it's not a you know kenny galladay type guy Uh, but they need to address that so like that's number one and it's far and away their biggest need i mean they have a young quarterback you need to put some talent around him to really be able to you know fairly evaluate daniel jones uh i think after that you can kind of pick your spots i mean they definitely need to upgrade edge rusher um but i'm not sold that they're gonna be in the market for this again there's big names at edge rusher that you know may or may not hit the market the Shaq Barrett and Yannick Ngakwe and Matt Judon all these guys I don't know that the Giants are going to spend there it's just you look at Dave Gettleman's track record if anything he's been shedding a high-priced edge rushers whether it's Olivier Vernon and Jason Pierre-Paul uh, Joe Judge 
you know, he comes from the new England background where they have not spent big money on, on you know, edge rushers and free agency, at least not consistently. Uh, so I think that's a spot they try to sort of patch together, whether it's another mid-level free agent, like the last couple of years have signed the Marcus Goldens and Kyler Fackrell's to one year, you know, $5 million deals. I think you see probably something like that. Maybe you take a swing on sort of an ascending guy like uh, Hassan Reddick. Like he's an intriguing guy. I don't know what his market will be because it's really one great year and three, you know, pretty lackluster years. So it really depends on what you're buying there. But um, that's the type of guy, again, I don't think they're going to shop top of the market. And then the third biggest need, I mean, I think you can always, the easy one to say is probably, you know, cornerback two, because that was, you know, really a disaster last year. Really James Bradbury was arguably one of the best corners in the league. And the spot opposite him was like such a glaring weakness. And, uh, to Pat Graham's credit, they were able to sort of scheme around that and just play a ton of zone, but he wants to play man. So they need a legitimate NFL number two cornerback. Again, don't think they're going to spend big there, but you, you at least need to get uh, a reliable veteran you can plug in there. Or, you know, maybe with the 11th pick, if, you know, Patrick Sertain or, or Caleb Farley falls, then maybe you take one of those guys. And then I would say, like, if that's 3A, 3B is offensive line. They've invested a lot in that spot. Uh, but they can't, you know, rest on their laurels. It, it's still not a finished product. I think that's definitely in play for the 11th pick, potentially more likely sort of the same cornerback approach where you get a mid-level uh, veteran, $5 million a year, whatever, to, to compete at right tackle. But they got some big decisions because Kevin Zeitler has a huge cap hit and they could cut him. And so there's a lot of moving pieces. Obviously, we're, we're doing a lot of forecasting right now. But, I mean, I think those – I know you asked for three, but I think those are the four biggest, um, you know, pretty far and away. Makes sense to me, man. I want to focus on defense here for a second because, yeah, look, James Bradbury, absolute stud. And I mean, the fact that he got to go where, you know, I think he was, wasn't was appreciated with how good he was with the Panthers. But, you know, when you're facing off Julio, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans is shadow coverage six times a year. Hard to exactly shut those guys down. He is not a problem. But, yeah, no other cornerback or safety in the secondary was graded as one of PFS top 40 players last year. With that said, though, we talked about defensive line. You're not super confident that they invest a ton of resources in there. We got Leonard Williams, Thomason. And Kyler Fackrell as unrestricted free agents. Right now, only the Giants, Patriots, and Titans have fewer than 15 million devoted to the defensive line. Do you see them trying to build more in the secondary? I know that's what Flores and the Dolphins have done, other Patriots disciples, kind of treating the secondary a little more important than they might the defensive line. Or do you see it being more just, hey, you know, we got Bradbury, we'll just try to kind of fill in the cracks uh, the best we can elsewhere? Yeah, I think secondary, maybe over edge rush. Um, I don't know about defensive line. I think they will invest there because I think Leonard Williams is going to get a $20 million a year contract. So that's a pretty big investment, obviously, right there. I think in an ideal world, maybe if the cap was, you know, where it was supposed to be, you bring back Williams and Tomlinson. You know, I mean, technically they can afford it because, you know, all these guys can, uh, you know, manipulate the cap and the year one cap hits. But sure. I don't know if that's the best resource, investment of resources to pay Leonard Williams, say, 20 million a year. And then Dalvin Tomlinson, oh, 10 million a year. And then you have Dexter Lawrence coming up. I mean, it's important to have a good defensive line, but we just went through the holes this team has at premium positions. You can't spend all your money, especially against a guy like Tomlinson, who's more of a run stuffer. So I think they'll make the big investment in um, Williams. Again, Lawrence was a premium investment, obviously, you know, as a, as a draft pick. And then the secondary, you know, you mentioned the PFF grades, but they're very high on the guys they have there at safety. You know, Logan Ryan, they gave him a nice $30 million extension, which that's you know pretty good money for a guy who's 30 years old. You, you know, he get that last offseason, so he was quick to sign that extension when they offered it. Um, you know, Jabril Peppers, fifth-year option. He really had his best season last year. Still, you know, he's, he's not a perfect player by any stretch, but he had his best season last year. And then they're really high on Xavier McKinney, 
who obviously unfortunately missed the first 11 games last season with a broken foot. But when he came back and, and worked his way back into the mix, he had the interception to, to seal the, the win over the Cowboys in the finale, a lot of optimism about him. So I think they feel like they have the pieces to have a really good secondary. You just fill that, you know, cornerback two spot. You, then you don't maybe have to spend as much on edge because you're going to have a very good back, uh, back end of the defense and you're going to have Williams up front, Dex Lawrence up front. So that's where I think if they're going to, sort of try and nickel and dime a spot and be more edge rusher than straight up defensive line because they do think they'll invest in Williams. Yeah, I think that makes sense, PFF. We have done some studies over the years, you know, coverage versus pass rush, and it does seem like really fixing that coverage might be the preferred method. Obviously, if we can have, you know, elite players all over the field, that's, uh, you know, an ideal world. But if you got to, you know, pinch some pennies, I get going the secondary uh, ahead of that. Before we get to some true workload notes, I want to go back to the number one wide receiver spot because I'm with you. I mean, they'd be great to upgrade, you know, from one of these guys. Slayton, great fifth-round pick, but kind of reminds me, you know, when the Bears talk about how, like, Darnell Mooney is still, you know, a great guy to have there. It's like, he's fine. Let's give Daniel Jones a legit high-end number one receiver, though. One of the things that really surprised me from him this year was how good he was when he did throw the ball downfield. Now, we can talk about the high pressure rate, you know, whether or not he always made the best decisions, but only Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Derek Carr had a higher PFF passing grade, throwing the ball at least 20 yards downfield. Yet, Jones, I mean, his average target depth was really, you know, in more in the lower half of the league. Do you see that, you know, in 2021, throwing the ball downfield more often being a higher priority on offense and could, you know, trying to spend up on someone like a Kenny Galladay, Corey Davis that can get further downfield, you know, better than a Golden Tate. Would you recommend signing that type of wide receiver to maybe get this kind of untapped part of Jones's game uh, at a higher frequency moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that answer is sort of twofold because it's personnel and schemes. Uh, personnel, they have fully admitted they have to upgrade. And so, yes, I definitely think they'll go for you – know, it's hard to put a name on it. Even if it's Jalen Waddle, another guy who can sure. you know, pop off a defense. They need a guy like that. Like, you know, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard's possession guys. Slayton is a nice number two, number three who can do that. But just, you know, he's proven he can't go beat number one corners. You need a guy who can do that, that sort of, you know, alpha number one receiver. And, and they're out there. So, I think personnel-wise, they'll definitely address it. But schematically, the same offensive coordinator is back, and, and Jason Garrett's approval rating is, is pretty low in New York right now. Uh, so he did it. Did he mean to clap after you talked about that? <laughs> but I mean, you look at it in Dallas when he had guys like Amari Cooper and Des Bryant, they did throw the ball down the field, so he's not averse to it. So maybe, I mean, it's, it's so hard to when you try to do the dissection after a season of you know, cause and effect. Like, did he change the offense because the old line wasn't good enough or because the receivers weren't good enough? Because as you say, Jones was effective when they threw it deep. So it just seems kind of obvious. We'll throw it deep more. And, you know, I think that's a fair criticism from, you know, 20,000 feet, but they might've just felt like personnel wise, that wasn't in their best interest because you know that they really hammered Jones on limiting turnovers. Maybe they're trying to go for safer throws, but again, that backfired because a lot of his interceptions came on passes in traffic. They went off every hand or, you know, a, a pass that was late over the middle. Uh, so I personally totally agree. I think they should a go get the guy who can take the top of the defense and then use it because that has really been, I think, and I don't know what his rookie numbers were in that category. And I know that, you know, he graded very highly uh, this past year, but I think he was pretty good even as a rookie, very accurate downfield, uh, throws a nice deep ball. So yeah, I think that should absolutely be a feature of the offense. But again, that's going to take some changes from the coaching staff and the coaching staff is the same. So they're going to have to be sitting there and hopefully, you know, if you're looking for that, uh, their self-scouting has revealed that yeah, we need to, you know, take advantage of, of Jones's skill set uh, doing that. And again, it becomes easier 
if you do have that true game breaker outside. Yeah, we'll see how much Garrett will adjust uh, these days. To his credit, I mean, this was, you know, a better offense after the first month or so of the season. But, man, I remember watching some of these games and it was like just, you know, if there was a problem with Evan Ingram, you know, Daniel Jones aren't hitting right. It was like design runs were always the solution. You know, giving Ingram these random reverses and stuff or Daniel Jones running far more than anyone I think would have expected. Hey, credit to Jones. I mean, that dude is legit, you know, an athlete. He can run. I'm not saying you shouldn't tap into that game, but hopefully we can just get a more, you know, 2021 style offense from Garrett here moving forward so again this top three needs everyone get a number one wide receiver look at that edge position and then kind of 3a 3b cornerback two and the offensive line great stuff Dan moving on I want to get your thoughts on just some kind of 2021 workload related stuff again we're recording this on March 2nd Dan cannot predict the future but as you uh you know as things stand right now I want to get your thoughts here so first off Daniel Jones we've talked about him already and kind of things that need to help with him but look I mean just in terms of PFF passing grade big time throws in terms of worthy plays adjust to complete percentage he didn't have the same blow-up games in 2020 but i think we can all agree it was a step forward particularly when you kind of look across the offense we talked about the room for upgrade garrett probably not doing you know a great job by you know to put it nicely uh, kind of schematically what are your you know, just year three expectations for jones because i mean we've seen other quarterbacks kind of make this leap around this time is this kind of make or break year for jones i mean he turns 24 in may he's still young but we haven't really seen him really be put that consistent stretch together do you need to see that in 20 yeah, no, I think this is make or break for him, for Dave Gettleman, you know, maybe not so much Joe Judge, but for Jason Garrett. Like if if the 2021 Giants uh, are six and ten again with the 31st scoring offense again, there's gonna be some changes. Now, uh, I don't know if that necessarily means they would cut ties with Jones, but you certainly would have to start looking at either whether it's the draft or um, you know, they bring in a veteran to push him, whatever it may be. I mean, we're getting obviously a little ahead of ourselves, but yes, I think this is absolutely make or break. I mean, within the building. They're super high on him. I mean, you mentioned a lot of those stats that, you know, obviously PFF measures because the countable stats, not pretty, like 11 touchdowns is, is gross, really, when you, when you break it down. Um, and he had better one, better countable stats as a rookie. You know, he gains with four touchdown passes, gains with five touchdowns and no interceptions. So, like, just looking at the box score, it certainly didn't measure up. But, again, some of those numbers you mentioned, I think internally they say, like, we, we gave this guy a very poor offensive line. Saquon Barkley goes out and you know, the second quarter of week two – Wide receivers were, you know, underwhelming. Evan Ingram was inconsistent. So I think they look at it and see more resiliency. And, they, and you know, the hamstring injury was really a dagger because, in their opinion, he was starting to turn the corner. He had that awful game against the Bucs where you know, he threw the killer interception, but they really had him on the ropes. They really should have won that game. It was a Monday night game. Uh, even came down the end and had a two-point conversion that would have tied it. But um, after that, you know, he had some of his better games where he took care of the ball you know, wasn't having the fumbles that certainly plagued him. And then he gets hurt. I think it was three weeks later in Cincinnati after beating Philly and beating Washington. Um, and he just wasn't really the same when he came back. I mean, he was pretty good in the season finale against Dallas, but um, I think they would have loved to see, you know, him have eight healthy games in that second half to really build. And we just didn't get that. So again, it's, it's so hard, like with the cause and effect thing, like, was he going to be better? I mean, we, you can say he was, but we didn't get to see it because he was in and out of the lineup. He played the one game against Arizona and he, you know, he couldn't even move. And it was, it was terrible that they even played him. And, but he obviously looked terrible in that game because he couldn't move. Right. Um, so again, it's, it's a lot of projection there for the giants. Like they, I mean, they're not going to trade for Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watts. Like they're sticking with him, and they, you know, they picked him six, two years ago. He's been good enough to warrant a third year. But you have to see something tangible, and you know it's wins. It's it's it is throwing for twenty touchdowns, you know whatever. And and, and it's funny because people talk about Josh Allen, like let, he doesn't need to be you know number two in the MVP ballot. Baker Mayfield though, that would be like a nice year three sure. jumper guy 
who was sort of had a better rookie year than the second year, but then really, you know, took off with a better supporting cast, better coaching uh, in year three. I think that is maybe a more realistic target, you know, just get to a point where you go into year four saying, all right, this is our guy, you know, we're going to pick up a 50 year option. We can talk extension because we've seen that those are, are dicey to, uh, to engage in too early. Um, but I think, a year from now, they're going to have a much clearer answer on if he's the guy or not. Because right now, I, I mean, it would be hard for to have a conviction really either way. I mean, I, I don't think you can say he's a bust, but I, you definitely can't say, oh, that's their quarterback for the next 15 years. It's just been too up and down these first two years. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get your opportunity at a $1,000 deposit bonus. That's promo code PFF for new customers to get an opportunity at a $1,000 deposit bonus only at DraftKings Sportsbook. It must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Virginia, call 888-532-3500. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversations and sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. And now back to the podcast. 100%. Yeah, we don't need to see a top three MVP finish to, you know, just feel good about 2022 and beyond. But at least let's try to get, hopefully, you know, knocking on wood, 16 healthy games and above average play throughout that. 100% with you. Now, you know, we've already talked enough about needing to get number one wide receiver. It seems, though, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, we're still expecting them to be in three wide receiver sets. Do you anticipate Golden Tate being as good as gone though? I mean, look at the cap numbers. Seems like he could be a cap casualty. I know there is also some seemingly some tension between him and the organization throughout last season. Yeah, no, I think he's, he's pretty much good as gone. Um, you know, cause as you mentioned, they have Shepard, he signed for a couple more years. Slayton's still very cheap. You're going to go out and get that, that number one receiver, you know, potentially, uh, I don't think there's really much use in having a, a high-paid veteran number four receiver who was already griping about his role last year. Um, yeah, I don't even have the numbers in front of me. I should have known those by, by heart. But I think it's like $6.5 million in cap savings. That's, right. that's very important, obviously, in this offseason with, um, you know, where the cap is and how the teams are going to be, you know, lifting up coach cushions, looking for any money they can. So if you're going to make some of these other moves, you need to find space somehow because the Giants don't have really any room right now based on where it's projected. They're going to have to make cuts – to get to where they need to, to re-sign Leonard Williams, to sign a wide receiver. So, uh, yeah, I think there's basically no chance Tate is back. And, and the, the way they structured that contract, it was always kind of an out after year two and yeah. uh, two, you know, pretty disappointing seasons. And I, I think they, you know, go their separate ways now. And do you, and with that in mind, do you expect Sterling Shepard to get back to being a full-time slot receiver? Because, you know, I, I didn't check the numbers after this year, but I know during the first part of his career, really 2016 to 2019, just comparing kind of his efficiency in the slot versus out wide, he was someone that seemed to really benefit from lining up more on the inside, you know, getting those cozier wide receiver cornerback matchups. So it seems like if Golden Tate's gone, you know, depending on who they add, it seems like Shepard maybe could be back to having that full-time slot role, which might fit his skill set even better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that should be, I mean, you can't make your free agent decision on a, you know, hundred million dollar receiver or something based on what's best for Sterling Shepard, <laughs> but all things being equal, you're probably looking for a number one outside guy. And so then that also benefits your number two guy. Cause if Shepard is serviceable as an outside guy, but he's not a guy who's a deep threat out there. 
He is really effective in the slot. Like you said, there's you know, more favorable matchups. He's really good at making the tough contested catches you need to make in there. He's got the short area quickness. He's a reliable guy. So that's why the Tate signing never really made sense from the get-go because you already had a guy who you, you, know, you look at as like a future big part of our team. He's in the slot. And then you go and sign a guy who's only been a slot receiver his whole career. So it just never made sense. It, it felt like a you know, kind of a panic move after trading Odell. Um, so, I mean, listen, Shepard has shown the last two years that he can play outside. And that's obviously, you know, you don't want to have like this guy plays in this position. This guy plays in that position. There has to be some fluidity. Yeah. So he can move him around or two receiver sets. He can play outside. You know, there's some of that. But I think ideally, you know, you get that again, that just predominant number one, you know, ex receiver. And then, you know, Slayton's on the other side, and then you can use Shepard in the slot. I think that uses his skill sets to the best. I think it sets up the offense the best, and you just have the nice versatility that it need be. He can play outside, but I definitely don't think that's where he's best suited. Yeah, and that would really open up a ton of room for him underneath and in the intermediate areas that they can get one of those additional field stretches as we were talking about. Dan, two more things before we get your bold take. First, how's Saquon doing? You know, we've kind of gotten an update here or there, but I feel like, you know, we saw Adrian Peterson, you know, back in the day, just, you know, back in the day, like seven years ago, have the brutal uh, knee injury, come back, go for over 2,000 yards. And I feel like sometimes we look at these outliers and we say, oh, you know, Saquon, he got hurt early in the season. He should be fine. Is he looking like he'll be ready to go for week one or is this something that we should probably keep closer tabs on well i mean it's it's at that kind of dead period in the in the offseason with veteran guys you know they're all on in turks and caicos or maybe they're just getting back into the gym but they kind of you know kind of go away so you're on the instagram post which obviously are going to show things going well um you don't hear a lot this time you know typically in a normal offseason but i've mentioned probably during april when they report for you know offseason workouts we don't even know if that's going to happen this year um but i mean i haven't heard anything to indicate he won't be ready for week one you know the the quote-unquote benefit was he suffered that injury in week two. So, you know, it's not a situation where, you know, a guy gets hurt in week 17, that, that's rough, you know, because the timeline is, is so compressed to get back. I mean, even in the most sort of generous timelines, I mean, training camp as well, like 11 months after he suffered that injury, you, you would think he'll be back, he'll be healthy. But then obviously you mentioned Adrian Peterson, who is just a freak in, in, in every way. I don't know that you can expect them to rush for 2,000 yards in the MVP. I mean, there are plenty of wide receivers, running backs and wide receivers, other players, who, you know, year one is they're back, but then year two is when they're really back. Yeah. So, um, and did the Giants manage him? And, you know, there's a lot that's going to go into that as far as like his workload, but there's nothing to indicate that you know, he won't be, you know, back and ready to play, you know, week one. There's just a question that we won't have the answer to for a couple of months is, is he going to be like full force? Is he, because I mean, you, you know, the way the guy runs, a lot of torque on his knees and everything like that. Can he still do some of the crazy stuff he does? Um, you know, we obviously won't get the answer to that really until training camp, because even if there is a spring program, I'm sure they're going to be very careful with him. And, uh, you know, he'll be on the exercise bike and he'll be in the training room. He won't be out there hurdling guys and, and doing spin <laughs> until at least, uh, you know, sometime in August. Yes. Yeah, save that for August, September. Just get healthy, Saquon. Truly. I mean, look, I mean, I know it's last year, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Kamara, a lot of great running backs that about there. I'll put my money on Saquon when he's at hundred percent in terms of just the best back in the league with the ball in his hands. Dan, last thing, Evan Ingram, this is a fantasy minded podcast. He disappointed a lot of people last year. I'm not saying it was all his fault. We've talked about Jason Garrett, but just in terms of like, if you could have told people, Hey, we're getting 16 games out of Evan Ingram this year. He's not going to you know miss any time. And for him to kind of put up the numbers he did, it was awfully just, disappointing what is his future with the giants could you see a bounce back coming or are we probably gonna have to start looking on to potentially who his second team could be before too long yeah well you know what i might have to just double up your your two questions there to tease the bold thing and as i was kicking that around yeah, my go head, ahead go ahead 
So I think like, and this is a bold take. I don't think this is going to happen, but if you ask for a bold take and I say like, you know, Daniel Jones is starting quarterback. It's not very bold. <laughs> so I'll say that Evan Ingram is not back. And I, and again, I think he, I think he will be, but so if you ask for a bold take, I'm just saying I could see that being the case where, you know, he's got a $6 million cap it for next season. That's not a lot, but it's, it's something. So, you know, teams showed interest in him around the trade deadline and, you know, the giants reportedly, we're only listening to offers if they include a first round pick. So, I mean, obviously they got a lot of dial tones there. No one's, no one's giving them <laughs> one for Evan Ingram, but if they come down off that asking price a little bit, maybe they get a day two pick from, I think that's a stretch even, but let's just say that happens. If you're the giants, you have this player who certainly has like tantalized throughout his career with, you know, with glimpses of this athletic ability, but just has not been a consistent, reliable, productive player year in year out, whether it's injuries or, you know, last year was just kind of like a, a Murphy's law type year where, you know, <laughs> Every time there was a big spot for him, it seemed like something went wrong. So, again, I think he'll be back. So, to answer your first question, I think you kind of can expect what you saw last season. I think they need to make sure they're putting him in the best possible situations. Like, he ran so many curl routes and stuff like that in Garrett's offense, and that's not his strength. He's not a guy who's great at making the Jason Witten contested catches with guys all over him. You need to get him moving, whether it's drag routes or, or vertical routes. I think that's what he needs to basically run almost exclusively, which is hard to do because you're playing tight end. You, you need to do some of that gritty stuff over the middle. Um, so I don't think he's going to have some monster breakout year, especially if you do upgrade some of the other pieces. You would hope that it can be a, a balanced uh, attack. But to the bold question, the bold point, I'll say like, you know, maybe they just move on. Maybe they look at it and say, listen, you know, we like them. We've tried to make it work. You know, three different coaching staffs who really has not been able to, um, you know, bring what everyone perceives to be his talent level to the forefront. I mean, it's funny. He made the pro bowl this year. No one ever, no one ever thinks about that. It was, it was pretty fraudulent pro bowl selection, wow. but uh, if you can get like a third or fourth round pick for him, take that $6 million and, and spend it on a more of a two way tight end. who's not going to maybe put up the flashy receiving stats, but down in and down, I down in and down out might just be a more consistent contributor. Use that mid round pick to get a similar guy. You know, maybe that's the, again, that's my bold pick. Maybe that's the way they go. Um, but in reality, I think it'll probably be back. I like it, man. That is a great bull pick. Usually I've been asking people for their bull call on the podcast. And, oh, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not good at these things. You came right out with it. You had some confidence with it. I love it, man. And yeah, the fact that Ingram made a Pro Bowl last year, I mean, there should just be some sort of threshold. I don't care if you need three tight ends, you know, if uh, just mark it down, someone doesn't uh, uh, mix into it. But yeah, ever since uh, Trevor Simeon declined his Pro Bowl invite back in like 2015, I've just said, you know what, I'm done. Done with Pro Bowls, all pro, all pro or bust for me. Dan, fantastic stuff. Thank you for the time. People can find you on Twitter at dduggan21. Uh, what do you got on the horizon for the offseason? Well, let me just add one thing. I'm just looking forward to the aggregations of this where it's, you know, Dan Duggan reports Evan Engram is getting traded. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's you, you set me up there. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we're about two weeks away from free agency here, so it's going to be, you know, kind of full tilt on that. And it'll be very interesting to see what the Giants do. I mean, the first domino to fall is really going to be Leonard Williams. Uh, they haven't franchise tagged him. They have another week to make that decision. And one way or another, they're going to bring him back. And I know they prefer not to tag him, but, uh, if, you know, if they get back in that corner, they might have to. And then, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see the topics we addressed. Um, you know, do they go all in for a wide receiver one? Do they try to sh kind of shop the margins and, and go all in with the 11th pick? Um, it's going to be really interesting. So that's that's the first focus. And then, of course, you know, the NFL is smart the way they structure the calendar. We've got a couple more weeks, then we'll be ramping it up for the draft. So, um, you know, 11th pick is a little different. We've gone from two to six to four. Have to wait a little longer on that uh, the first night of the draft. But uh, certainly it will be interesting to see who they come out of it with, uh, with that 11th pick.
100%. Everyone make sure you check out Dan's coverage over there at The Athletic. Truly one of the best providers of any sort of sports content you can find out there. And yeah, I, I you know, love all my, uh, you know, social media producers out there at PFF, but sometimes, you know, they'll clip that one quote from the podcast and just cause an uproar. It's like, well, we had a little bit more context and the context than that, but that's why you people hopefully come and listen to the podcast. So he's Dan. I mean, this has been the PFF fantasy football podcast and until next time, take care, everybody. 